today on the podcast, our special guest is Estelle Kurd. Estelle is the head of people and culture at one of New Zealand's most innovative companies, Rocket Lab. We dig into the importance of setting clear expectations as a leader, being authentic in your leadership, and how to be both empathetic and strong. We also find out what it's like to walk into a room full of Miss Universe contestants who are all in cocktail dresses, and you thought the dress code was track pants and trainers. Please welcome Estelle Kurd. Hey, so welcome along to the show. Fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Alrighty, I'm going to hit with some fast fact questions so the uh, audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you a breakfast or dinner person? 100% breakfast and I love going out for brunch and I know that's such a classic thing to say, but every Saturday, Sunday, you'll find me at Rosie and Parnell. Love that place. Absolutely. And what's what's normally uh, on the plate at Rosie? Uh, an omelette with uh, pancetta. Delicious. I highly yum. recommend. Yum, yum. <laughs> and when you're reading, do you like to have a real book, the physical item, or are you more of an electronic Kindle type person? I'd definitely say a Kindle, and that's so I can swap between books. I often what I do is I'll start reading something and then I'll fall out of it and go, oh, go to something new. So you can't be taking five books away on holiday. <laughs> I am exactly the same. I've got like three different books on the go at the moment. I'm can. can constantly swapping between them so really really helpful already cats or dogs dogs for sure oh yes good job <laughs> and uh routine wise are you an early riser or a night owl definitely an early riser i um love getting up and going to the gym in the morning so day sometimes starts between or anywhere between 4 30 and 5 30 yeah I'm, uh-huh. I'm in bed by 9 p.m i'm like oh gosh it's getting to 8 30 i better get in bed <laughs> hey when you're getting up at 4 30 you know you need to get a few uh few hours sleep in so i think that's that's pretty cool and if you were watching a movie would we more likely find you watching a thriller or a comedy oh that was a hard one um probably thriller i do like a bit of a suspenseful um something on netflix so probably gonna have to go thriller on this one yeah and you've got any uh top of mind recommendations for us things you should be watching um, oh, you know, I started to rewatch a lot of the old things that were about 10 years ago. So like Inception and Batman. Um, nice. You know. <laughs> cool. Hey, that's awesome. Now, Estelle, uh, you're the people leader at Rocket Lab. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation today because uh, I think Rocket Lab, uh, it's a, a company that has, you know, it's one of those uh, strange situations you feel a deep affinity to it as a, um, just as a Kiwi. Um, because of what you guys are achieving on the on the world stage, um, so I don't know whether that's misplaced patriotism, but uh, you know, certainly proud of what you guys are achieving. It's it's pretty phenomenal. Let's dig in. We're keen to understand some of your top insights. Can you give us maybe your top three? Give us them in summary level, and then we might dig into them a bit further. So for me, top three, starting with being genuine and being authentic. And for me, that's learning everybody's names. So when people come in in the morning, you say, hi, Jeff, how's it going? And you actually know something about them. Um, And then the second one for me would be being empathetic, but being strong. So that means that understanding a person's situation, but not allowing for bad behaviors or taking action, having difficult conversations and having them sooner rather than letting them grow and affecting the rest of the team. And then uh, lastly, for me, would be about being clear on your expectations. So I've seen a lot of leaders get quite emotional when they haven't got what they wanted from a situation or an employee, but they haven't been upfront about their expectations. They've said, oh, go and do this. Or um, I like to use an analogy where it's, um, you know, asking your boyfriend or girlfriend, go and get me some ice cream. Um, and then they come back with vanilla and you're going, but, but I want a chocolate. So 
um, being clear on expectations is a massive, massive thing if you want to get, um, if you want your employees to be happy and for you to get the results that you need. Okay, so uh, let's let's dive into that one, clear expectations. So what is it when you send um, your partner down the road for ice cream? What's, what's the setting? <laughs> um, well, I'd be very specific, but I want a Magnum caramel double chocolate um, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> at least you know exactly what you're going to get but I think if you put that into sort of a leadership context um, I think when people become leaders they don't necessarily understand that the people who they're managing don't have the same level of understanding or technical nous that they do and so their expectations are okay well if I give you a topic or I give you a subject or I give you a project uh, you'll be able to manage that and that'll be absolutely fine and I'll, I'll see you in three weeks for the delivery um, I won't tell you much about the timeline I won't tell you much about it. And this causes a lot of, I guess, angst in an employee as well because they don't know what the expectations are. And then they start to feeling like they're not good enough at their job. And it sometimes spirals into a bit of a performance conversation because the manager goes, oh, this person's not delivering. But realistically, if they'd gone back to the start and had laid everything out very clearly, it's far more efficient than having to go back at the end and go, you didn't do this right. But it also gives the employee, okay, I know exactly what I need to do. And if that person doesn't deliver on it, then you can have the conversation about this isn't good enough. But you can't have that conversation without being clear on your expectations. Absolutely. And still something I've seen a lot in organisations is uh, failure to deliver context before the, the expectations as well. Yep. Often senior leaders, they may have been involved in lots of other uh, project discussions or meetings and years of experience in an industry. So they bring so much context to what's going on. And then they often go and talk to their team about it and just go, can you deliver this? No context, no understanding of impact yep. to other parts of the business, to customers, to suppliers, to, to all sorts. So I mm. absolutely fully agree that uh, context and clear expectations. Have you got an observation or an example where you've seen uh, clear expectations used really well and, and you've seen good outcomes from it and conversely maybe where it's where it's gone bad? Um, I think what I like to do is I like to have a conversation first about okay this is what we're doing these are the expectations this is the context and then I'll put sort of um, bullet pointed email so okay I want x y and z I want it delivered by this time send it out and I say come back to me if you have any questions and usually nine times out of ten you get what you need sometimes there's additional questions but you want people to ask and you want them to have um, that trust in you that it's not going to be a situation where you go well I, I put it in an email what, you know just read the email and I have seen it go really poorly when um, managers use the whole I don't have enough time so they go, I don't have enough time. Here's a little bit of information, you know, sort of bitty bits, and I'll give it to you. And you go, okay, well, I'm not really sure, but because of the way that this was given to me and the sense that it's, um, you know, I don't have time, please just do it. And then the, the product or the end, um, what you deliver in the end, isn't necessarily what they want. So they get frustrated. It takes more time. And you could have just gone right back to the start being very clear, taking that extra time to actually be clear. And then everybody wins out of that situation. The employee feels empowered because they know what to do. The manager feels like they can be a bit more hands-off because they've set those expectations. But you've got to take the time up front to get what you want in the end. Otherwise, you're going to end up in this conundrum where you might think the employee's not delivering. The employee might not think you're a good manager. So that's why it's incredibly important. Beautiful insights, and I'm intrigued as to how this particularly plays out at Rocket Lab, right? We've got a high-pressure timelines, 
So you guys are yep. working towards launch dates. You've got your know, customer deliveries, and when your customers are paying, you know, maybe circa you know six, seven, eight million dollars for the thing you're doing for them. Yeah, you know, there's some reasonably high expectations. Uh, you've got that pressure of, of launch dates and weather conditions and all mm-hmm. those kind of things um, happening. Plus, I imagine things need to be reasonably precise. Like you sort of don't want to leave one part <laughs> out of the rocket. I imagine it doesn't go that no, well. No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> so, so how two two parts to my question? Um, one, what have you found working with? I guess predominantly an engineering based uh, group of people, and the, maybe the types of personalities that uh, engineering attracts. And um, how have you tried to instill in your leaders, the other other people that are leading others in the organization, how have you tried to instill that setting clear expectations for them? So if you can imagine, um, so Rocket Lab, very fast paced and things do change a lot. And so it's about managing firstly the expectation that this might change because we're always going to be adaptable. We're always going to move wherever the customer needs to go, wherever we feel if quality needs to change, then we're going to stand up. We're going to get up to that level. And so um, working at Rocket Lab, you need to be quite an adaptable person. And so those expectations change a lot, but it's being about, okay, as soon as the expectation changes it's communicated and it's communicated on a really wide scale as well um Pete is very good at communicating he makes sure that everybody knows what's going on I mean if you take um the unfortunate if flight 13 anomaly where we we didn't make it into space and immediately within 10 minutes Pete had sent out an email saying more to come he put out um a video on LinkedIn I mean sorry Twitter and um, you know he really managed that, and he was very clear about what was going on. And I think as long if things keep moving and things keep changing, as long as you communicate that, it's it's absolutely fine, and people will understand. But it's when you communicate the expectation up front quite clearly, but then things change down the path, and people are still going down this path when you're going down this path, or oh, sorry, going left and right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like doing the hand movements and thinking, oh, people probably can't see that. Um, so um, I think, you know, clear expectations really comes down to communication as well. And when you work in a very fast paced business um, where the expectations are very high and they change a lot, communication is the only thing that, that's going to work. And so often we see good communication can allay any kind of uh, challenging situation, right? Most people are actually pretty understanding and pretty forgiving if they know what's going on. But if you put the kind of silence around something, then, you know, the rumors start, the people don't know what's going on, they start making things up. Uh, so, yeah, I think, yeah, very important point in that communication uh, aspect as well. Okay. And maybe some insights, Estelle, for working with predominantly engineers. Uh, what's been your observations? And as a as someone who's trying to get the very best out of the people at uh, at Rocket Lab, how do you how do you um, work around that? Work with it, I should say, maybe. So um, you can probably imagine that uh, the people at Rocket Lab are incredible, and some of them are just so. Let's say most of them. In fact, I'm going to say 100% of them are the most incredibly intelligent and amazing people you've ever met in your life. And so when it comes to HR and managing some of the new structures that I put in uh, when I came on board, it was a little bit more difficult than, say, I had had in the past because every little finite detail, as you can imagine, needs to be explained. And I mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily used to that because I came from Armstrong Motor Group, which was a automotive dealership company. And so they were more sort of, people orientated and knew a lot more about okay this is the adaptable I know this I understand this so 
how I managed to do that was I, um, so I do a lot of face-to-face meetings, a lot of PowerPoint presentations. I'd even record them and put them in our learning management system so that they could go back and watch them again and again. Because sometimes the point that I was trying to make might have come across a lot easier in a different situation. But when it's engineers and, you know, calculus and physics is just so easy for them and that was way over my head but something that I suspect would be so easy like I remember putting together a form and it's and you have name okay what what's their role and they go well what what do you mean what's the role what what's the role that they're going to be filling well I don't know yet that's the role that we're recruiting for oh okay okay and in my mind I'm thinking yeah, this really? quite straightforward but you know and that's I think in that situation you also have to manage your own expectations like I know a lot about my field and so I have to communicate that in a way that that they're actually going to understand because how I pictured it to be isn't necessarily how they picture it to be so I had to be really break things down really black and white really linear make sure there's a process in behind it and once we had done that you know it was so much easier for them to understand and um, you know, really get on board with what we're doing with performance reviews, with new policies, um, with remuneration structures and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, I find uh, in our program, we do a management training program for a lot of organisations and one of their real breakthrough modules is uh, what we call working with their teams and it's an insight that not everyone thinks the same way you do. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. such a breakthrough through moment. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing mass generalization here, but engineers maybe think that everyone consumes information the same way they do and, you know, vice, vice versa. So uh, it's really that awareness piece, such a, such a phenomenal aspect of, of leadership. So it sounds like you're doing a, a good job of uh, working <laughs> in with the various uh, personalities yeah. and uh, natural affiliations to information at, uh, at Rocket Lab. All right, let's um, talk about one of your other top three, which was about being really genuine and authentic. Um, yeah. I'm interested in a bit more insight and particularly if you've got anyone that you've observed in your working career, maybe someone at Rocket Lab, maybe someone previously, maybe someone external where you've uh, really seen them as a bit of a role model around being that really genuine, authentic leader? So for me, being a genuine and authentic leader is getting to know people um, and actually being interested in their lives and what their stories are and remembering that as well. It's not just a fleeting, oh, hello, yep, great. It's actually, hi, you know, how are you? How's your Mary? How are your children? How's your, you know, every single piece? Because people go, oh, she remembers something about me, you know? Um, and if I can just break it down to four key things that I think help so much, they're so simple and they build so much trust in your organization. And as being, being the head of people and culture, you want people to recognize who you are and you want them to be like, okay, I can come to that person in my time of need or if I, if I have anything that I want to talk to to HR about it's not like the scary I, I I think that HR used to be the scary thing like oh gosh you know don't go in there don't tell them anything it was like so, the headmaster's yeah. office I know you only went there when you're in trouble I know I know and I and I really really I, I just like that so much and I want people to go oh you know like she's she's funny and and she's you know, she's just an employee. She's not this person that's up on a pedestal where I only go and see HR when there's been like the naughty corner or something like that. So my four things are remembering people's names, just being able to say, hey, Jeff, hey, Mary, 
whoever it may be. And, and being a large company that we are now with, you know, around about 600 employees across uh, New Zealand and the US, um, that can be hard, but taking the time to remember people's names and to remember at least one fact about them. So you've always got something to talk about. The second thing, I think this is really, and, and maybe it's just me, but I think this is a really cool thing is I wish everyone a happy birthday on their birthday. So I get an automatic um, email from the payroll system and people go, oh, you know, thank you. Like they feel really special about that. Um, I how do you so- deliver that? How do you deliver that birthday message yourself? Do you do you do it in person? Do you email them? Do you, how do you, how do you typically prefer to do that birthday message? Um, it really depends on the person. So um, this morning I went down to our security guard and I wished him a big happy birthday. Um, but for other people uh, and your typical engineer, they don't really want a big song and dance. So it's better or more preferable to do it in sort of an email or a, I use Teams quite a bit. Um, yeah, sure. And then just a few emojis in there as well. Nice. <laughs> um, and then I, the last thing for me is that I really feel that I, I share who I am. I don't ever try and be someone that I'm not. So for example, whenever we do management meetings, my slides are always have memes and things in there and, you know, videos and, and I try and make it fun because that's, that's who I am. And I think that I don't want to change and become someone else because this is the kind of HR person and HR leader that I want to be. Oh, and the one other thing that I do that I think every leader should do is if you sit in an office, make sure, so I sit in production for three hours a week at least because people need to know you, they need to know your face, they need to feel comfortable around you. And if you're just away in a corner somewhere, how can they know sure. who you are or, yeah. you know, oh gosh. So, so I think it's really important. Yeah, pretty hard to engage with an email signature, right? But uh, when you're yeah. a person, much more, yeah. uh, much more interesting. I always like that, um, and I'll paraphrase it, but that quote from Einstein that says, um, "I talk to the cleaner and the CEO in exactly the same fashion." Um, yeah, I think absolutely. it's such good guidance for for leaders. Is is recalling of names and facts what people are into? Is that something that comes naturally to you, or is it something you've had to work at? And if you have to work at it, do you have kind of any system or kind of framework for how you how you remember all that? So how I do it is um, so we have, and I guess we're fortunate enough here that we have this sort of staff um, database which has a photo of the person and mm-hmm. name and their department and everything. So I will commit to memory. I'll look at the photo and I can have Russell, 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 and then I'll go down to the lunchroom and then if I see him, I'll go, hey, Russell. So it commits everything to memory. And once you've said hi once, you recognize who that person is. Um, so when I first started here, there were so many names to learn. And it was a bit overwhelming because everybody knows your name because, of course, you're the one person that's new. Whereas when you're the one new person and you've got all these people, you're kind of trying to, okay, that's, that's Thomas S and that's Thomas R and that's, yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to mix up your facts and go, yeah, oh, correct. Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> and you might not remember everybody's name, but at least make the effort to get to know people. And, yeah. And if people can see you doing that, then they're more likely to go, oh, wow, you know, she's actually trying to be, you know, closer to the employee group. And still being, you mentioned, you know, being the person that you are and not uh, trying to, I guess, cope that with anything uh, yeah. disingenuous, disingenuous or uh, inauthentic. We hear a lot about the power of vulnerability. Mm. Is that something that you subscribe to? And, and if so, when have you been vulnerable in a, in a work situation? Well, I'll give you a bit of a story. It's not from work. It's actually from Miss Universe. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so go over there and there are 95 um, other women from 95 other countries. And um, I was rooming with Australia. And um, so every day you would get up and you have to dress to the nines like you're going out to the races or some fancy dinner or something to that effect. So one day we have dance practice and I thought, great you know I can finally my feet are, are pretty sore from wearing heels from 7am to 10pm at night I thought great okay cool so I get on my you know my track pants and my um sneakers and so does Australia because we go okay well we're going right. we're going to dance practice yeah. obviously I was thinking you know dance practice you know walking practice we'll be fine in our trackies and stuff we go down we're the only two in the whole of these 95 women who aren't dressed up to the absolute like maximum and because I, I thought okay well dance practice cool great fantastic and we just look at each other and we go oh no we've made we've made a horrible mistake here but in the end you know we both decided no you know what like this is who we are we're not trying to be anything different we're just going to go out there and have fun yep we're in nikes and um everyone else is in cocktail dresses but that's sort of what makes you stand out and at, at the end of the day like i I just laughed it off and I thought, hey, it sort of makes for a fun, hilarious story now. And it's just, I think that's really being an authentic New Zealander as well. Oh, well, you know, I'm just being my chackies and um, and I had so much fun. I could have at that moment gone, okay, we're going to go run back to our room and get changed and, you know, do the whole hoopla. But in the end, it's not necessarily who I am. So I just wanted to yeah, go out there and nice. have fun and... Yeah. Great example. And I love that the uh, Anzacs were standing strong on the world stage. Yet I again, know. You know? <laughs> Me and That's Australia. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And Estelle, you know, being involved in Miss Universe, obviously you've uh, at a national level and then an international level, that uh, combination of culture and competition. Um, what else did you learn? What else stands out for you when you, when you reflect on that experience? Um, oh, I mean, it was an incredible experience, but it, also was one where you had to be incredibly resilient you're away for three weeks and it's definitely not a holiday it is go 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 all the time and it is 95 women competing for one job so it's like a three-week long interview and um, I think when you when people look at sort of pageants they go oh you know most of these women would be 18 maybe just out of school probably haven't accomplished a lot but these are doctors and lawyers and I mean they're representing their country so you know a lot of these young women are incredible and in a sense you sort of feel it's it's almost an imposter syndrome like what am I doing here you know and these are just the most gorgeous beautiful women on the inside and out and so you really had to sort of take a step back and come back to yourself because you can get in your head a little bit because you're away from your, your friends and your family you're constantly in this space where all about talking to people and beauty and you know being this gorgeous amazonian woman and there were times where i thought this i, I this is just so overwhelming but I think coming back to, you know, I found Australia and me were very similar and we could talk about a lot of these things. And so we sort of built resilience up in each other. And I think that's a big part of um, anything is finding someone who can empower you and keep you on track, especially if you're sort of alone <laughs> or what feels like alone on a journey. And I think, you know, it was, it was really incredible. And I think although some of these women were just incredible, some of them were, the, there was one woman there 
and she said to me oh New Zealand you know I love New Zealand and I was like oh she's like I'll show you where it is and she she zooms in on Tasmania on the map and I was like oh no 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 she's like no that's that's New Zealand right there I was like no it's definitely not New Zealand she's like no I'm telling you now and I was like oh just let me just zoom out here and zoom back in on New Zealand she's like oh well I thought it was that piece that broke off from Australia and I was like oh no maybe 10 billion years ago yeah exactly (laughs) but all of them were really lovely so um no it was a good experience but um definitely requires a lot of resilience yeah and look that uh, particular competitor she was closer than another story I've heard which was uh, a friend of mine was working in the uh, U.S. told the uh, group that he was with that he's from New Zealand, and uh, one of the people in the group said, "Oh, so how long would it take to drive there from here when they're in the states?" <laughs> so you know, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah, geography, uh, you know, has has different yeah. uh, different bounds for different people. Alrighty, cool. Exactly, Let's come yeah. back to um, your third top insight, which is being empathetic but strong. I guess yeah. we might think about those things as being almost opposing forces. So how do you view those and how do you use them in the, in the work context? Well, I think if we start off with being empathetic, um, that's about trying to understand your employees and walking in their shoes. Like you might not necessarily agree with some of the choices or um, some of the things that happen, but you need to just take a step back and understand their story and their point of view. A good story is um, there was a young man in one of my jobs and really great. And then he just stopped presenting for work and you know the managers are you know it's just just to get rid of him you know he needs to go he's not turning up for work he's not committed yeah yeah and all of those things and I said well hang on a second when when did this start oh only about two weeks ago and I said prior to that how was he as an employee oh he was fantastic he was great I said well have you asked has something changed because it seems to be that there has been a point where things have sort of fallen apart and said well, uh, well no I haven't I said well let's get, let's get him in so we got him in and we started talking to him and it was really about there'd been a bereavement in the family and his mother wasn't coping at well at all and he was sort of in this really hard place where he was having to choose between coming to work and looking after his mum and you know family is very important and so he said I've got to look after my mum you know that's that's the number one thing he said oh you know the supervisor had no idea hadn't put anything into context and so, you know, we put a plan together where we solely integrated him back into work because we knew he was a good employee. It's just that this moment had happened in time and it had been really hard for his family and he was doing his best. And so after that, he has been absolutely perfect. But it's like about understanding your employee group and understanding what they're going through. Yeah. And that <clears throat> communication word again on both sides, right? The supervisor failing to communicate with um, the employee and the employee mm. failing to communicate back what was going on in um, his world at that at that time. So yeah, yeah. more communication all around would be, uh, be really helpful. Okay. And what about the strength, the strength piece? How does that uh, yeah. come, come into play for you? Well, I think you can, you definitely need to be empathetic, but there is a point in time where you cannot let bad behavior continue. You can understand somebody's story. You can understand um, where they're coming from. You don't necessarily have to agree, but if you support them and try and help them and, and put all of your resources into it and you feel like you're getting nothing back, well, that's when it starts to actually filter out to the employee group and nothing will kill a great employee's motivation than watching you tolerate a bad one. So that's where the be strong part comes in. You need to have a difficult conversation. You need to get on top of this before it becomes 
a thing where it actually affects other groups in the in the workforce. So I like to. There's a there's a great story. So um, in a previous job, it was an automotive retailer, and um, Steve had worked for the company for 19 years, and um, he sold six cars a month. So six cars a day. So the benchmark was 15. So that was the average amount that should have been sold per month. So we had a new manager come in and the whole department was performing quite poorly. And he said, well, it sort of stems from this person, yeah, the six cars deep, because you only sell six cars and then everybody else thinks, oh, I don't have to sell as many cars either. And so I said, okay, well, let's let's go back and have a look at his, because nothing's ever come up before about this. And we went and had a look at his performance reviews and they were all fantastic, does a great job. You know, everything is fantastic. And so he never, no one had ever, actually ever had the conversation with him that this performance that he, where he was performing was nowhere near where he needed to perform. And so after 19 years, coming in and saying, okay, well, that's that's not good enough. Well, that's not his fault. That's the manager's fault for not being strong and not having a conversation however many years ago they needed to have that. And what that did was it sort of perforated out into the rest of the group. And they thought, oh, I, don't, I don't need to come to that level because you've brought the bar down. You're not lifting your employees up. And so that's where that be strong part comes into because if you set the bar and you don't tolerate anything below that, then that's where everybody will stay. But as soon as you drop that for one person, it comes down for everybody. Mm. And so I, I fully embrace your your story. And I've seen so many examples of, of that uh, in organizations we've, we've worked with. And I'm always a, a big fan of when we talk about culture, teams that people want to be part of high-performing teams. That's actually a big yeah. part of the culture experience in a, in a work environment. And exactly as you've just described there, if you've got someone that's lowering the bar, then the whole performance of the team drops and suddenly your culture starts to, to really suffer as well. Yeah. So yeah, great uh, great insight. So let me throw a scenario at you. You've okay. got, you know, I imagine some of the people you employ are not super easy to invite, find. You know, Rocket Lab, the kind of qualifications, the, um, the physics, the calculus kind of brains that they possess, et cetera. I imagine you're looking to employ the very best in the world in the, in the field that you guys operate in. So you uh, have one of these employees, they are an absolute superstar. They would be very, very hard to replace. Those kind of skills would be very hard to replace, but they're really not quite living the values of the company. What do you do? Uh, so I guess um, from a Rocket Lab perspective, our values are incredibly important. They are, they're built into our day-to-day lives at Rocket Lab and they're very unique to us as well. Um, they're not, you know, honesty and trust like Enron, which obviously they're... They <laughs> Didn't were pan out so well. <laughs> they, they aren't just buzzwords is what I'm trying to say. They mean a lot to us. So uh, we are the leaders. We are fiercely efficient. We have each other's backs. These are the values that we live by. And they form a part of our performance reviews. They form a part of our values awards. They're, they're a big part of our life. And so if somebody doesn't live those values, it really does not gel well with the organization. So you can be a, an absolute top performer, but you have to be on the Rocket Lab journey as well. You have to be just as involved as everybody else. Um, it doesn't matter if you are um, you know, a junior buyer or you're a very senior leader. They just wouldn't put up with that because there are so many people, um, as you can imagine, who want to work here who would, lo- who would love to live the values and would love to be a part of this journey. And so for us, we just don't put up with anyone who's trying to drag that down. 
So yeah, I think it's, it's a really interesting one because I think in previous roles, I've really seen what I would say is a very high performer who um, delivers a lot of profit for the organization, who hasn't been dealt with for their bad behavior because, oh no, leave that person alone. They do a great job, but all they do is actually make others do a worse job. So if you think about that, you know, you could have one really high performer, but what are they actually, what, how are they affecting others in that group? So that I think is we suddenly just need to stand back and go, okay. I mean, of, of course you address it first. You have that conversation, you have that difficult conversation, but if things don't change, then you need to have a different conversation. Yep. Spot on. Uh, Reed Hastings, the Netflix CEO, uh, he says, never tolerate brilliant jerks because the cost of teamwork is too high. And I think yeah. that's uh, such a such a great way of uh, embodying mm. exactly what you've talked about talked about there. Cool. What's the on the focus for you at Rocket Lab 2021? Where well, I was going to say we're into a new year, but we're already a month down. Yeah. So you've got 11, 11 left to crush your uh, your goals at Rocket Lab as the um, people and culture leader. You know what's what's a big focus for you this year? Um, well, growth is going to be a huge focus for us this year. Um, we already have um, 60 open roles in New Zealand and 30 wow. in the US, and that's about to grow uh, substantially. Wow. So um, recruitment strategy is definitely going to be a big thing. And it is the thing that is making it hard for everybody is COVID, obviously, because a lot of the skills that we get are from overseas. So um, in the European countries is where we get some of those very particular skills. So creating a recruitment strategy around making sure that people understand um, the journey from coming from Europe to New Zealand, especially in this time where I think a lot of people are holding on to their jobs and they're quite fearful. So it's really promoting that Rocket Lab brand, which is very strong in the market, but if you're overseas, it might not be as strong. So um, that's sort of what we're centering our recruitment strategy around this year. Um, but we're really excited mm. to see the growth of the organization. And I think, um, you know, Keep your eye on the news because there are some amazing, exciting things that I can't talk about yet that will be um, coming out later this year. So we're going to be finding people to support that, realizing those uh, yeah, those goals. Sure, that is uh, a monstrous task employing that many that many people. But then you know it's never just the getting them in the seat, is it? Then it's inducting yeah. them to the organisation, having them across the values, uh, being part of the the Rocket Lab mm. Rab culture. So how how many do you have in the HR team? So um, in New Zealand, there are um, five people in the HR team, and mm-hmm. then there's about a similar amount in the US. Right. So, yeah, it's... Um, so you guys have plenty to do. Yeah, we have a lot to do. And, um, you know, as you said, around that culture piece, so it's not just about them coming over, it's actually assimilating with the Rocket Lab culture. And so we do quite a bit of work before they even get here in terms of the interviews, testing, everything, because... Rocket Lab has a very particular culture. It is fast. It's about efficiency. It's about doing the best work. And it's not for everybody. So some people like, um, you know, a bit more of the 8.30 starts and the long lunches and the 5 p.m. finishes. Well, that's just not Rocket Lab. And so you have to find the people that they might be brilliant, but if they like that sort of culture, they probably won't succeed here. It's a big thing is making sure you get the right people so they so you set them up for success. And so, yeah, for us, it's about finding those people who they love what they do. They're here, they're passionate, and, you know, they're, they're not a clock watcher that looks and goes, okay, get to go home in five minutes. Sure. 
Yeah. Okay. And so something that we uh, advocate a lot at the the breakthrough is health, family, and work in that order. So you've yeah. got to look after yourself, both mentally and physically. You know, you've got to take care of. Um, when we say family, we mean broadly your relationships you're going on, and obviously the the work piece as well. How do you try to uh, do that? I know yourself, you're a, a keen exerciser and um, uh, focus around the health and fitness piece. Do you try to instill that in your team members as well? How do you how do you yeah. work with that at Rockley? So um, I mean, we try and have we try and set up quite a, a number of events which involve employees and their partners. For example, in December last year, we had a family kids Christmas so that everyone could come into Rocket Lab, and we had sort of um, like a petting zoo and everything set up. So, oh, I, I just thought it would just be like mini rocket rides. Yeah, I know <laughs> a little like roller coaster in a rocket. Um, Pete's really big on on family, so. He hosted that, paid for everything and let everybody come. We also have probably about once a month um, social events. So uh, this week it's burger and bowls. <laughs> bowls is in... Um, lawn bowls. Uh, lawn bowls, there we go. Yep. Um, but it's also about, you know, we try and operate on glide time as well. So if somebody stays really late and they're tired, they shouldn't really be coming in at 7 a.m. They should come in later than that. And all the managers understand that and know that. Um, if you think about... Some of our employees uh, will be on console or doing operations quite late. And if they're here till midnight, no, we don't want them to come back at eight o'clock in the morning because they're tired. How efficient are they going to be? So, um, and that, that really is around the managers managing their people. And we're very strong on that because there's no point in having somebody here when they're delivering subpar work because they're tired. Yeah, makes a, makes a lot, of, lot of sense. Interestingly, in your career, you've done um, steel, automotive and rockets. Yeah, they're quite. It's quite an interesting kind of industry uh, grouping that you've mostly been involved in. What do you feel has drawn you to those those kind of industries? Um, oh, it's it's that's quite um, an interesting question actually. Um, it's not so much what's drawn me to the um, organisations. It's that I've gone to the interviews and I've met the people that will be leading me, and I thought that is who I want to work for. So. Of course, brand is always important and you want to work for a, a, a great brand, but it's mostly coming down to, do I want to work for that leader? And I've spent time with that leader and asked some questions in the interview. And if I think, yep, this is a person that I can work with, we can be a team, then I'm like, yep, I'm all in. Nice. And if you reflect on your Rocket Lab interview process uh, and the, the leaders you were interviewed with there, what, what stood out for you when you're going, hmm, I feel connected with this group? Well, I had initially, I had an interview um, with my current manager and he was very intelligent. He wanted to really, I think people and culture at that point didn't necessarily have the love that it, that it needed. And he was looking for somebody to come in and really show the business the value of people and culture. Because I guess if you are a startup organization, although it would probably a little bit down the road now, but you know, going into that growth mode, you know, people and culture is something that comes later. It's not when you have 10 people, it's sort of down the track. And so really creating value in people and culture. And I could see that he really valued it. And so I was like, okay, great, I'm in because if he values it, then I know that I'm going to get the support that I need. But also one of the things that I really loved about the interview process was I had an interview with the people that I would be leading. Awesome. And I thought that is some that is a company that wants their people to be involved in this recruitment process that 
want to have trust and choose their leader as well. And so when I went into the, um, when I went into the team, I thought they, they have chosen me. So it felt almost like I, I didn't, I had, I was one step ahead because I wasn't trying to win my yes. employees over. They had already yes. chosen me to be their leader. Yeah, I think that I'm going to uh, adopt uh, that strategy. I think it's such a such a good one, and even just the uh, how much easier uh, you know first days and first weeks at work are when you've already met the team you're you're leading with. Yeah, current. yeah. <laughs> I guess there's there could be a couple of downsides to that strategy, but I'm sure if you'd won them all over, it was all uh, smooth sailing. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. Um, look, let's uh, dig into just a couple of fun ones. Um, if you could beat anyone in the world for a day, live their, live their lifestyle for a, for a day, who would you be? Oh, this is such a hard one because, you know, please don't judge me here, but part of me wants to be Kylie Jenner so I can sort of gallivant <laughs> around the, you know, the world and my, and my luxury um, jet and all that kind yep, of nice. stuff. But then a part of me would prefer to be someone like Mary Barra, who is the CEO of GM, because the challenges that you'd face and have to overcome, that's the real reward of, you know, getting up and going to work every day is that you face a challenge, you overcome it, and then you feel a real sense of achievement. So I'm, I'm caught between the two, but I think I'd probably rather be the CEO of GM. Well, maybe, maybe go the, um, CEO for the workday and then you can go Kylie Jenner for the uh, for the evening. Exactly. Yeah, a bit, of, bit of a combo could be quite, quite fun. Yeah. Okay. And um, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I think what I would say is working hard will always get you to where you want to go. Um, you know, I think that's something that I've applied my whole life um, and I think it's worked out quite well for me. So I, I, I would say I was never the brightest or smartest student, but I knew what I needed to do to get to where I needed to go. I needed to study twice as hard. I needed to turn up and be there and I never missed a lecture. I wasn't one of those people that, oh, adding in lecture that doesn't mean that means I'm not going today <laughs> um and so you know and I, I think that advice goes to every 20 year old in a sense that um you know if you work hard nothing is out of your reach mm. I'm reading a, a book at the moment one of those uh, multiple books I've got on my kindle called uh, the magic of thinking big by David Schwartz and yeah, he, he is such a fan of that uh, working hard. And he cites so many examples of uh, people that have been, uh, you know, exceptionally high IQ or very uh, successful in a school or a university context in terms of their, their marks, uh, but don't have the work hard gene, don't have the take a risk uh, approach to, to life. And, you know, of course, depending on your definition of success, but they haven't been as successful because they haven't been prepared to, to get out there. So, uh, yeah, IQ and, and uh, marks are just just one thing. I think the uh, yeah. hard work hard work piece will always uh, always win on the way through. That's uh, it's good good insights. And you've got a new uh, personal uh, goal to become a, a instructor at Les Mills. So, what yes. does what does what does hard work look like in the context of that goal? Um, so for me, it's, um, you know, getting up at 4.30 and I, uh, there's a really good book called Tools of the Titans. It's just excerpts, um, from really successful people about, and they just ask simple questions. And so what I do is I get up at 4.30, I just read one excerpt, which is only three pages and it would get me really sort of hyped up for, you know, for the day and for doing my exercise and, and everything like that. And, I know um, through my own journey of when I was younger, um, I was actually a size 18 and then um, 
realized through health and well-being that you know I could I could lose this weight and and I'd be so much healthier in my mind and in myself and so for me you know I hold on to that journey that I that I did when I was in my teenage years because it, I know that I can do it if I can go from a size 18 to a size 8 um, yeah. and you know um, and I think a part of me wants to give that journey to other people as well because it you know I think fitness is a real big driver of mindfulness and well-being so if I can do that for just one other person, then yeah. I know that I've, you know, that's success for me. Yeah. And that is such a great story to share because I think uh, probably in public perception, we go, oh, Miss Universe, just born beautiful, all probably perfect, probably never had to do a workout in their life. And it's all, it's yeah. all sorted. To hear that there was that understanding of health and fitness and uh, the the hard work that went into, into that, that's very, very cool. So yeah, sharing that story and being able to model that behavior and encourage others to live a, a healthy lifestyle. And I think the energy that you that it brings when you're eating well and you're exercising right, the energy that it can bring to your uh, work environment is just just phenomenal. Yeah. Again, that's yeah. why we kind of advocate, hey, health first, family, and then work. Because yeah, uh, you know, if you're not looking after those other two, you're uh, not particularly effective uh, or efficient yeah. in, the, in the work context. I 100% okay. agree with that. Okay. Um, you have been, I think, nominated for an award around diversity and inclusion. Tell us about um, maybe the organisation you're working in, how you tried to bring that in, and if you have any examples of diversity and inclusion at Rocket Lab as well. Be interested to know. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I did my master's thesis on the ageing workforce, um, and it really went to show um, that we often put labels on people. And so I did focus groups and I did interviews with employers. And um, one of the things that came through quite strongly was that a lot of the sort of mature employees, they don't want to retire at 65. They feel like they've got a lot of energy left. You know, they feel like they can be valuable to the organisation, and they sometimes felt quite put into a little box over to the side nope you've, you've sort of done your time there's no investment no training no exciting products and that really had a negative effect on them because what they wanted to do was feel valued in the organization and so at New Zealand Steel um, we brought in the aged integration program which meant that um, they could do a part-time work where they still felt very valued but some of the things had shifted for them also like they'd have grandkids so they wanted to spend more time with them but they wanted to do meaningful work so just because work is part-time or flexible doesn't mean that it shouldn't be meaningful and so sort of integrated my uh, findings from my thesis into the age integration program we also had a program where we were trying to get more um, women and Maori and Pacifica into um, the steel industry so what we did was we worked with a third party to um, get everybody tested because um, they had to have mechanical aptitude to pass um, then we would bring the group in, they would get a tour, they would get sort of a day in the life of what it would be like to work at New Zealand Steel because I think the perception was, oh, it's very dirty work and you'll be in there sort of, you know, what's going to be hard. But a lot of it was actually genuinely just good work for anyone who was trained up. It wasn't mm -hmm. hard labour or anything like that. And so getting people to recognise that, especially women and um, for Māori and Pacifica who might not have seen those opportunities before, was really important. And um, so those were two programmes that I introduced at New Zealand Steel. In terms of what we're doing here at Rocket Lab, um, we have a predominant male workforce, as you can imagine. So we've set up a group called Ladies Who Launch. Nice. Um, <laughs> and we do, um, you know, like, activities outside of work but also it's a, about sharing our own experiences and bringing the woman of the um 
of Rocket Lab closer together because, um, you know, in my HR team, we are predominantly female, but the engineers don't necessarily have that sort of female connection within within their group because they might be the only female engineer in their department. Sure. So what we're trying to do is bring up that group, but also as connecting further into universities, into schools, to remote STEM subjects. So last year, we talked at some of the universities and our really fantastic female engineers to talk about Rocket Lab. And I think it's about exposing women to, hey, you know, it's not just a male-dominated sure. industry. It's We celebrate everybody and we want you to come and work for us. So I think it's about showing um, that there are possibilities and opening doors. And obviously, it's also about having fun. So we have a lot of fun on these events too. Outstanding. And I think that getting into uh, schools and helping them see what uh, broadly is available out there is, is phenomenal. Uh, when I was doing a bit of research for this podcast, I came across a, uh, an insight about Peter Beck, which you know you never know whether things on the internet are true or not. But the observation was that when he was talking to his uh, careers counsellor in the Deep South in New Zealand, uh, and he said that he wanted to uh, build a rocket company and be involved in rockets uh the careers counselor said that's absurdly unachievable it doesn't fit in any of the boxes of careers that i have available on my page and we're going to call your parents in for a meeting to discuss how silly this is so again don't know whether that's uh, that's true or not yeah. but uh yeah just just goes to show right if you're committed enough to what you want to achieve then you really can um I'm sure there's some great pun I could use about um, breaking through sound barriers or getting to the outer atmosphere or something, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one there. <laughs> and um, it's cool. great to have um, his entrepreneurial spirit leading this company because he is definitely one of those people that is, we can do it and we will do it. And there isn't a maybe or a can't. And, and to have a leader like that, it really resonates with all of our people. Like, no, we will band together and we will deliver this and we will do an incredible job and break barriers and be a world-leading rocket company. Yeah, it, it's so amazing. And as I, as I said at the beginning, we're uh, we're so proud of what you're achieving at, at Rocket Lab. I think you're another example of putting Kiwi ingenuity, uh, hard work, uh, development on the on the global stage. Um, so thanks for all the work you guys are doing. It's uh, it's great for for us as a country as well. Alrighty, yeah. Estelle, any um, closing closing thoughts from you? Anything else you'd like to share with our uh, audience? I I just really think that as a leader, you should always try and be yourself and never try and be anything that you're not. Because I think if you're trying to engage with an employee group, um, they're going to breach you straight away. If you're trying to be somebody different or you know, put on something that that's not authentically you. Um, and so for me, it's always worked really well because people go, she's so relatable. You know, I want to get to know her and I want to get to know them as well. And so I think just being authentic and genuine is, is your biggest, I don't want to say weapon, but <laughs> it can be your biggest strength. And, um, you know, people love to get to know you as a person and not just as this person who sits on a pedestal. Yep. Be the person, not the job title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's such great, uh, great guidance for uh, anyone, whether they're an aspiring leader, uh, whether they're just trying to be a better human uh, out there connecting yeah. with, with others, or whether they're someone who's maybe been in a leadership role for a long time. And uh, it's always that good check in, isn't it, to reflect and go, am I being my authentic, authentic self? So uh, yeah. fantastic guidance. Look, Estelle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Your insights have been uh, fantastic. You've had um an amazing uh career and life already um and so much so much ahead of you so uh thanks
for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.